Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, owner and user of Mint Mobile, with a special holiday message. If you sign up now for three months, you get three months free on every one of our plans, even unlimited. Now, I realize this is more of a holiday offer than it is a holiday message, but if you read between the lines, you can see a message in there. It says we love you. Visit mintmobile.com slash switch for the offer. Limited time, new customer offer. Activate within 45 days. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. Unlimited customers using more than 40 gigabytes per month will experience lower speeds. Video streams at 480p. See mintmobile.com for details. This is My Kind of Weird, a podcast where two people swap and pitch three kinds of media. Something watchable, something readable, and something listenable. To see if each person says at the end of the podcast, that's My Kind of Weird. I'm your host, Anthony Pollock, and joining me today is novelist and comic book writer, Jason Franks. Jason, how are you today? Hey, I'm really good. How are you, Anthony? Good, mate. Good. Are you ready to get weird with me? I am ready to get weird all day and every day, but especially today. (laughs) All right. Uh, Okay, Jason, present your something watchable. All right. So my something watchable is the Legion TV series. Just tell me what happened next. Look. I don't know. It's fuzzy. I told you they took her. Sydney Barrett, the girl who disappeared. She didn't disappear. She took my place, and I took hers. Wait, what? It was her power, I I think. Can you explain that? Which uh, I guess finished up a few years ago, and it is pretty much... um, It's like an X-Men TV series if it was a really high-budget art movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really think it's like an amazing bit of work um, that stands quite differently from, you know, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe offerings and even the um, the Netflix TV shows that kind of preceded that or went alongside it. Um, you know, you know Noah Hawley from, from Fargo is the showrunner and it's really uh. sharply written, beautifully acted. Um, it has an amazing um, kind of retro look that... Um, doesn't really jive with any of any of the other Marvel stuff, um, and it's just beautifully surreal and clever. And the thing that really impresses me about it is that it's able to do a bunch of stuff that normally um, I hate, like having musical um, interludes in the episodes, um, and it's just <laughs> magnificent. I um I uh, remember watching Legion and falling absolutely head over heels in love with it. Uh, so much so that uh, my wife couldn't get me to turn it off. I just love it. And I recently went back and rewatched it, and it is so fucking good. It is so good. It 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 does all the sort of the weird X Men type of stuff that you'd expect to see. Uh, and that you want to see in the movies, but the, like I feel like the reason that Legend was so good is because it actually had the balls to do that. Not, that everything that the movies refused to do, which is like tap into the not only like the B and C and D list characters that are so interesting, but also um uh to uh, to to go into the just how weird the 
uh, like for instance, the astral plane, um, the yeah. way that's conveyed in the show is really well done. I mean, it was it was done okay in the X Men animated series, of course, but it was um, but they always sort of depicted it as sort of like this. Um, this kind of like uh, ultra-dimensional space kind of thing, you know, like floating asteroids and all that kind of stuff. But um, uh, the way that they did Shadow King and the astral plane in this is so, so fucking good. Um, uh, The fact that they weren't, uh, that they were willing to actually, uh, you know, um, hire a, a Muslim man to actually play a Muslim bad guy is you know a, a win in in my book as well um yeah and he's so good he's so good in the role um and especially like when you get into that the, the back half of that last season where you see what he was before mm. um you know before david was born you see how the characters evolved I thought that was magnificent and just you know the kind of the way they turn the character around just it was beautiful um but i, I really like what you said about it, it doing all the stuff in the comics that they, they weren't doing in the films. Um, I really like that, um, how, how weird it got. And also I think there's some stuff that I think they do better. So like mm. I've read that Legion storyline a, a million years ago and yeah, it's not, it's not one of my favorites. It looks amazing, but um, I feel like the grasp of, you know, the mental health aspects is, is um, uh, not quite what it should be. I mean, obviously, you know, people were a bit less, um, yeah. The science wasn't as good back in the day, but um, I feel like that is really the strength of it. And what I admire is that they've made a show that is about you know that that mental health um, issue that really explores it deeply. And the whole show is kind of metaphorical about it, but at no point does it kind of go like this is just a metaphor for mental health. Like it seems like it's quite you know all of the fantastical elements are, are like they're there for you to literally interpret in the show as well. So it's not like going actually just you know that's just our way of of you know being a being a doing an artsy metaphor about um you know the the um you know, schizophrenia and, and the mental um the mental health problems that david has yeah. but you know all that other stuff is is literal um obviously not in an astral plane but you know the time travel all of that stuff and i really admire that i think it's very easy to go like i'm an artiste everything is a metaphor and fantasy is um all of that is in service of of you know me showing you how uh, I've elevated this material. So yeah, I really uh, thought that was terrific quality. Do you feel that it would have been as good had Noah Hawley not done Fargo? Um, no. Yeah, I feel like you know probably having done that, um, maybe has given him clap to be able to pull off something like this three seasons yeah. of, of something like Legion, um, you know, based on a Marvel property, I feel like it's a, it's a, that is a real achievement. And I don't know that, um, you know, I think probably skill-wise yeah. there's not really a, a concern, but, um, you know, getting getting the, the clout to be able to do that, I think, I think Fargo would definitely have helped that. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's interesting how he went from working on Bones as like a, I think he was like an assistant production des- designer or something like that. Um, and then he went to Fargo and then he went to this. Um, 
it's it, it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, I I just uh, love the the characters that were in the show that um, were largely brand new, and I thought that was the right decision. I feel like um, oh, there was another X Men show they did as well. Um, the name escapes me right now, but that um, they had like uh, Polaris in it, and they had Thunderbird in it, and things like that, uh, those sorts of characters. But um, uh, Blink was in it as well. The name is really escaping me, and it's really shitting me up the wall. But um, they, I feel like with that there's just too much room for error. But with something like this, if it's it's largely just about one character, two if you count Shadow King, and those characters had were sort of like. Those sort of those B character fan favorites, and I feel like by doing by concentrating on just those, it just gave so much room for the writers to explore and and do other things. Yeah, look, I love those new characters as well, right? Um, Sydney and Lenny, and you yeah. know the Carries, Melanie and uh, yeah. Oliver, of course. Like they've got these great character actors. It really feels like it's been carefully designed to, um, I guess, complement David's story. Um, but they're all great characters in their own like own right. You know what I mean? Like Lenny steals every scene, like right from those opening episodes. Um, Rachel Keller, Sydney, um, like what an incredible journey you get where you don't really understand the character's motivations until you kind of hit that third season. You don't really understand what's going on. Um, just, yeah, it's lovely. And um, even the um, transitions between the seasons where each one is kind of a, a, a twist or a turn from where, you, where, where, where it ended up. Um yeah, I love that because it recontextualizes all those other characters that, um, you know, they definitely get a backseat to David, but you really like to see how they adapt to it, and that's that's what really makes it for me. Like, you don't know what's coming next. Yeah, hundred percent. And Camos Mills just dropped in the chat that the show I was talking about was The Gifted. So, um, yeah, I think as oh. well um, is the secret man FX. TV just shits me up the wall. Hey, that, <laughs> they create they create these so many good shows like The Gifted, and then and then obviously this uh, this one Legion, and then Banshee, and then like it they they're good for like three seasons with their shows, and then they get cancelled, woefully cancelled. So um, yeah. <laughs> oh, look, I was happy with three seasons of Legion. I, I never expected that we that we get. That many, and yeah. no, I think it got it got the runtime that it needed. But I was happy yeah, with one, but the, but you know that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right? I was, I was happy like, that we got yeah, one. <laughs> this is something that's genuinely artful and is is really elevating the material. I think like it's really showing you like the potential of what this can be. Um, yeah, and you know, being something that's different and 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 uh, new and um, um, I don't know, like there's a real integrity to it. I feel. Mm, yeah, agreed. All right, my something watchable, which I'm going to pitch to you right now, is the Invincible TV series. Uh, come on. Knock it off, Todd. I think Amber's been pretty clear about how she feels. Uh, I'm nothing like my dad. I want to be just like you. I fought to keep this planet safe. Your power's got to be due any day now, son. <laughs> Morning. 
I'm scared, Dad. What if I can't do this? Follow me. So I'm going to talk about the show instead of the comic. If we talked about the comic, I think that has over a hundred issues, so we'd be here uh, for for a while. And um, I've got to eat. So, um, <laughs> Invincible. It's obviously um, based on the uh, comic book series by uh, Robert Kirkman and Corey Walker and Ryan Otley. Um, so. Obviously, the um, if you haven't seen it already, the main sort of uh, plot point here is it's about a uh, some ten year old kid named Mark Grayson who figures out that his dad is the most powerful uh, superhero in the world, which is Omni Man, which is obviously a um, uh, homage to Superman. Um, but then he finds out later on that uh, Omni Man is actually part of this uh, race of uh, beings. Uh, who are hell-bent on basically taking over the universe. Um, So towards the end of the season, spoilers, um, his dad basically turns on him and the two of them go head-to-head and basically destroy all of Chicago because apparently super beings don't like windy cities. Um, (laughs) uh, So... um, Um, so, uh, maybe it's because they fly everywhere. That's why they don't like Chicago. Who who fucking knows? But, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, but it's, uh, fantastic, um, homage to superhero shows of, um, you know, past and present. It obviously does the um, superhero team thing where, uh, spoilers, Omni-Man goes nuts and kills pretty much the the invincible version of the Avengers. But it's lots of fun. But it does also, I feel like shows like this and... um, and uh, the boys have been raising sort of weird toxic tangents online, which we'll talk about for a little bit. Um, I don't know about you, but I've seen um, when hero, uh, heroes, when um, when uh, the boys came out uh, last season and when this season came out, there was lots of sort of there were people who are entering comments on Twitter and various other forums saying that, the bad that that people are feeling some kind of association weird perverted association with sort of the really bad characters in shows like the boys and and like invincible and they want to be able to do what they can do and i mean there was also um uh i mean uh when it came to uh the boys they there are people raising issues a bit about being able to um, do whatever they want and being able to kill whoever they want. And uh, and I feel like it's raising sort of this issue of um, heroes. Do we need them? Do we need superheroes in sort of not only pop culture as a whole, but also the, the whole, do, do we need to aspire to be beings that can, if left unchecked, they can do whatever the hell they want and ruin lives of whoever they want. So, um, yeah, well, it's, it's bizarre. So there's a lot to, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, and, uh, um, if we, I guess if we can get away from, from Invincible a little bit on that, I think that, um, partly like this, this kind of isn't new, like, but I think that these are people who perhaps have missed the, 
um, satirical aspect of what these shows are trying to do. I don't know that Invincible, I've only watched a little bit. I don't know if that is satirical, but The Boys is definitely a satire. Um, and, I mean, even going back to, you know, Watchmen, where people are like, Rorschach is my favourite character. I want to be Rorschach. Like, Rorschach is not an admirable character, but these, this is a warning about um, how, you know, this genre, when kind of taken from a childhood fantasy to, to being, uh, you know, uh, something that um, is an adult fantasy becomes fascism, right? Which, yeah. you know, Alan Moore has been saying that since the 80s. Um, and I think we've kind of seen that writ large here. Now, I mean, for me, I am uh, not really a superhero guy. Um, I've only, you know, I've been doing comics for 20 years. I've only just done my first straight-up superhero um, story. It's actually out this week in The Phantom. Um, but um, I always like the villains. I always prefer the villains. Um, I guess not just in... in you know, like that superhero fiction, but I'm always a guy who's interested in, in the villains. And I think that um, the difference is that I recognise it. And what we're starting to see in shows like The Boys is where, like, you know, the big, you know, most powerful superhero is, you know, he is evil. You know, he's has this unrestrained... Homelander. Yeah, Homelander, right? He has this yeah. unrestrained ego. He yeah. can do whatever he wants. He's terrifying. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. You know, I think, like, that is the... Um, that's kind of what the show is trying to say mm. um mm. i also think this um like hero worship thing is a very american kind of a thing um mm. you know, I, I lived in the states for five years i was talking to you about this before um before we started the show and um it's a very common topic like who's your hero and i'm like people would ask me that and i'm like i don't really have one or like i'm like ursula Le Guin. um Shakespeare, <laughs> fuck Shakespeare, off. Shakespeare, <laughs> right? I'm like, I, I don't like. What are you going to say to that? I, yeah, I don't like have someone that I put a pattern in my life after. Maybe that's an Australian thing too. Like, you know, we have this talk yeah, syndrome yeah. where we don't want people to get above the station or whatever. But um, <clears> you know, I think there's a definite, definite like there's a part of American culture that um, has kind of given rise to these um, to these heroes, and maybe. Um, you know, as we've kind of carried those fantasies into adulthood, it's it's become a little unhealthy. Yeah, um, I I was actually thinking about this the other night. You you mentioned the American problem, and uh, I know that there's there are elements of uh, Americans that you know uh, have are a bit more switched on than your average sort of para, parasocial yeah. lunatic who who you know loves. Taylor Swift and wants to kill her and wear her skin and prance around, but um, <laughs> I but I um, I, I I was thinking about is it the issue that it's an American problem, or is it the issue that their like, their population is not only so vast and huge compared to our own, and obviously the more people you get in a society, the more shit people you get. It's just a numbers game, and is it? That and is it also combined with the the idea of Hollywood that we that it's just so far removed from our own culture that we just we don't really see that. I mean, the closest we get is we might get you know you know your Hemsworths and you know your Margot Robbies and such like that. But again, it's just so far removed from us because in order for them to even have a career like they've had, they need to move to America. There goes, yeah. you know, the the sort of the the issue of Hollywood. So, look, you know, I think part part of it's cultural. Um, I think what you said there about 
um, you know, like we see the ugly American because um, they're ugly and also like, especially now in the social media age, like that gets um, propagated yeah. by the algorithm. So like definitely you look on Twitter, you're seeing the worst of everything because that's what generates clicks and that's what gets, um, that's what gets eyeballs, right? Um, and that's all that those, you know, social media, um, that's all I care about, right, is getting people engaged with the platform. So you're, you're looking at it and, you know, clicking on ads. Um, I think um, some of it's cultural, though, as well. Like they've just had a very different, um, uh, you know, colonial history to what we've had in Australia. Um, yeah, yeah. With, you know, the Puritans and then the whole cowboy myth. Um, uh, and you know, I think that culture just is a bit more geared to, to like, you know, putting up a hero as a, as a you know, representative of what you should aspire to be. Because, like, if you look in, in the UK as well, right, which is, again, America's 100 times the size of us, UK's 10 times the size of us. Um, look at their comic books, right? We're, like, we're talking about Judge Dredd, which, again, you know, he is a fascist and it's it's a political satire, science fiction political satire, Judge Dredd. Um, you know, nobody wants to be Judge Dredd. Nobody's like, he's my hero, um, but he's fun to watch. You know, it's, it's fun to follow him. So I, I don't know, you know, um, you know, I, I, I've got a lot of American friends. I lived there for a long time. Um, we definitely, um, you know, we kind of see where that culture um, kind of bottoms out sometimes. Mm. And you know, this is really showing that, maybe. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I brought up some loaded topics there about a fun <laughs> you sure did. and somehow connected it to a fun um cartoon um, which I'm really enjoying the hell out of by the way um, and for everyone who's watching this uh, and who will listen to it later and when I put up the podcast um, so I thanks to Amazon and obviously can't say much about it but season two of um, Invincible does not let up uh, there's way more heart there's, it's just as brutal, and uh, that's what I love about it. It's continuing to really just um, go the extra, uh, like really play into the heart of the comic, which I feel is good, and um, we need more adult cartoons in the vein of when a comic book gets adapted because, like it or not, and you can CGI the fuck out of something, but at the end of the day, the way that things, uh, characters move and interact, and, and, I mean, we've seen it with the most recent um, Into the Spider-Verse movie, like, the human body cannot move that way, and that's what makes it so much cooler, and and uh, I think that's what make, that's the same reason uh, and point is what, what makes invincible so much cooler as well uh the problem weighed in on the chat saying the argument that you can't enjoy an evil character without condoning their actions isn't new but it's definitely leaked into the mainstream more i wonder if they'll do an adaptation of the counterparts comic with the supervillain. um it got less more uh, it got less love but was still a good read you read the counterpart i have not but, um, you know, villain as heroes is a thing that I do in a lot of my fiction. Um, it's yeah. like my favourite my favorite thing to do and a lot of my favourite um, stories that I've grown up with. Um, yeah. often, that, often you don't realise the character's the villain until late in the piece. But I love yeah. that and I absolutely agree. Um, you can enjoy watching an evil character. It doesn't mean you condone what they do. Um, 
yeah. by any means, but it's still like, I mean, to me, the rule is not that you have to identify with the character, but it's that you've got to be interested in seeing what they do next. And there's a balance that you push as a writer to like, how far can I, can I do this before we just go, oh, I, I, can't, I can't watch this anymore. Um, uh, yeah. I, um, we, just a side note, um, the very first episode we talked about the counterpart TV show. So I think that's what the problem is talking about, the adapta- the comic book adaptation of the TV show, right. which okay. had um, which had J.K. Simmons in it. Um, it was basically, uh, it was kind of like, um, do you ever see, um, uh, oh, um, what's the name of it? Um, uh, Continuum. Do you ever see the show Continuum? No, I didn't see that. Oh, okay. Well, that that just annihilates my point. Then. <laughs> um. <laughs> I, I have watched All an episode right. or two of Kind of Papa, um, and cool. I, I really love that. I really love the premise. Cool. It's basically about this uh, this general guy who who, who realizes he's been working at this place for for so long, and it turns out to be something else than what it is, and it turns out to be this um, secret organization that somehow. Um, uh, manipulates uh, the time in different dimensions and he comes across his own sort of evil counterpart, hence the show, blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, so present your something readable, Jason. Something readable. All right. So I'm going to say um, The Morass by Zachary Axford. This is a horror novella um, just published in, I think, July this year. Um, yep. It is from... Um, so it's from Zach, who's an Australian writer based up in Brisbane, um, and it's kind of a it starts out like a kind of outback serial killer type of a type of a story, and then yeah. quickly changes from that into sort of more of a body horror and then a cosmic horror type of story. Um, and I really liked it. It's it's kind of brutal and un- unrelenting. Um, it's disgusting, um, and it just it goes somewhere that you don't that you don't expect. Um, I really love it. It's short and it's it's sharp. It's a you know it's novella length, um, and yeah, uh, you know it's the first work I've read from Zachary, and I, I'm really impressed with it. Um, so first of all, as far as Zachary is concerned, fuck him. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm telling you, so I like to give him shit, and um, he if he ever listens or watches this, Zachary, you still have the worst taste in music, um, but. Um, I've only watched sort of like the, I guess it's the prelude, um, he's, and the first chapter as well. So I've only read a little bit of it. Um, it's kind of, yeah, exactly like what you explained. Um, I would argue it sort of has almost like an, for, if I was to explain it to other people not from Australia, if you wanted so a book that was kind of like what you described, but sort of with the sort of bogan atmosphere of Wolf Creek thrown in the mix. That's sort yeah. of like, – because that's sort of kind of what you get that sort of leads into the main part of the story um, uh, at the start. But um, I, I found it interesting because that one's gotten some really good reviews and by people that aren't even Aussies. Um, yeah. I, I found it like this – like a lot of Aussie syntax and jargon and slang in there, which I, I was really surprised about that Zachary didn't let up on, um, which 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 was cool. It's one of the things I really like about it. You know, it's published by an American publisher um, and they've let him keep all of that. And I keep hearing um, from, you know, people in the publishing business that 
um, you know, Australian Australian syntax and all of that is going to put figures off and they won't be able to understand it and follow it and you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, even Australian spelling, which is kind of somewhere between, you know, UK English and American English, they don't want that. Um, but that's not been my experience at all. Um, you know, uh, Americans are smart people and mm. I don't think we have to pander to them. Um, yeah. You know, obviously they have their own bogan element as well, but, you know, I, I love that they can deal with the different um, the different spelling, they can figure out the, the language. And I think sometimes it's even a, an attraction that like, I don't yeah. quite get how, I don't quite get the the patois, but uh, I really I like the authenticity of it. I think that plays really well, and Zachary handles that really nicely. Yeah, I, I mean, it, I don't understand the argument of um, the Americans won't get it. Um, uh, I mean, to you to absolutely butcher an American word to use it in this phrase. Um, Y'all motherfuckers keep telling us that you love Australian stuff like movies and TV. Why does why is books different? You know, it, it just doesn't. I think people are smart enough to realise it's being written by an Australian and it's set in Australia. You know, I wonder if that's not an Australian thing happening now. Like in the seventies yeah. and eighties, sure, we made a dumb Mad Max because you know Val Gibson's accent was maybe a little unusual for for Americans, but. I think now I wonder if it's the Australian business kind of going like this won't sell overseas. Obviously, American market being you know a hundred times as big as ours is, is is hugely important for success of any kind of kind of uh, literary work because we're so we're so small. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I don't feel like it's an obstacle, and I was really heartened to see that. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. All right, so my something readable is Deliver Me by L. Nash. Um, so L. Nash is a novelist. Um, you know what? Here's an idea. At what 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 point does a writer sort of transition from author to novelist? That's something to consider. Anyway, um, <laughs> okay. uh, there's yeah, there's too many words. It's writer, there's novelist, there's author. Fucking pick one, people. Um, but uh, so I came across El Nash um, by listening. One of my favourite uh, podcasts is um, uh, Death Sentence, and the guy, the sort of the premise of Death Sentence, if you haven't listened to it before, is it's. Uh, Books for uh, people uh, who like death metal uh, but hate books. So it's it's great. You get you get all sorts of um, uh, different um, writing personalities on there, which I like, as well as sort of more the um, the underground of metal that gets played on the podcast. But um, they interviewed El Nash. Um, I believe she's an American expat who has moved to scotland and lives there now but anyways the the story is it's about this um so this uh woman uh Didi, who sort of fled the sort of pentecostal church uh, years ago and now lives with her um her boyfriend who is referred to who she refers to as daddy which um you know 
uh, the the weird strangeness doesn't end there. Um, he's this sort of he's this uh, unemployed or underemployed ex-con who has this insect fetish, and by that the there's this uh, point in the book where in order for him to get off, he she, he has this insect collection. Dee Dee needs to put these bunch of insects on him to touch him and you know get him to climax so <laughs> that's something that's a, i never thought i'd um read about serious but, finish, yeah 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 <laughs> um uh but um the the, the main it, it eventually takes us through dd's sort of very sort of uh religious upbringing her um her, uh, i guess her um, antagonistical nature that her her mother has with her, um, but also Dee Dee's need and want to be to become pregnant and become a mother so much that she convinces herself to um, become uh, to do anything she can to sort of become a mother to the point where, and I haven't finished the book, but about halfway through, she's sort of at this point becoming. That she she's almost fooling herself that she's pregnant, even though she's she's not. Um, and then, sort of, um, due to several sort of miscarriages, um, she she becomes more obsessed with that fact. And then, as a sort of this um, one of her old school friends, who she's sort of had this um, crush on for a while, um, she becomes sort of. Uh, uh, the obsession with her is sort of leading towards where I'm assuming she's going to kill her, but I'm not quite sure how it's going to end just yet. Um, adding to that, the the fact that Dee Dee works at a meatpacking facility, so there's lots of sort of visual imagery around uh, the butcher and slaughter of chickens. It makes for a a really, really interesting read. I really enjoy El Nash's sort of style. It's, um, it's. I guess it's. You could say it's um, um, uh, very seductive in a in a violent way, but not sort of violent in terms of the act of violence, but more sort of the thought of violence, if that makes sense. Um, it's very disturbing for sure, but it's lots it's lots of fun. So it sounds to me like it's one of those like is it a horror novel or is it a true fiction novel? Or is it somewhere in, in the middle? Um It's probably um it, yeah, it's probably somewhere I think it's amalgam amalgamation of sort of horror and sort of um Yeah, yeah, I'd say yeah, yeah, yeah a bit of the both, yeah. Somewhere in there. So yeah. I really love love that that kind of sweet spot i've read some stuff recently that i think kind of fits in that um in that era that area um yep. i can't do it myself um i mean sort of trying to trying to do some of that but um i will say that that sort of material really terrifies me like you know uh i was talking about zach's book um with the monsters and the serial killers and stuff and um you know i, I really enjoy that it's really fun but um this kind of more domestic psychological horror really um really uh uh really gets under my skin um so um you know uh, i read uh, recently um joseph ashley smith's uh, the measure of sorrow collection and those stories are all kind of you know they're all like 
about the family and and you know, this kind of terrible dread that you know you've traumatized your children and you failed your partner and something terrible is going to come and maybe it's a monster or a ghost or maybe it's not um I really like that that really disturbs me um I read um uh earthlings by uh Sayaka Murata translated from Japanese recently and that's the most disturbing thing I've read in 20 years um and that it's in the fiction novel um about um you know a, a misfit uh young girl and her cousin who um when their children decide they're going to get married you know she thinks she's uh um got magical powers and he thinks that he's an alien from outer space and um it just really like um just tore me to bits um this 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 feels like it, it's it's kind of in that in that realm as well um i'm 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 aware of the book um i've probably read a chapter or two out of it um and yeah it's one of those things i think i would read it and um it, it would take me a few months because i can only bear to do bits of it at a time <laughs> it's um uh, look it's gotten a lot of press like a, a lot of press uh like good press i mean um so i think publishers weekly wrote about it and it's sort of um it's really you know it's no sort of small effort when publishers weekly written about it but it's through un- unnamed press um i don't know um what um uh unnamed press of I don't know everything that Unknown Press has done, but it seems that they, they're doing quite a lot of uh, sort of um, dark feminist sort of tales. Um, that's that's just at a first glance. Um, but, um, you know, um, I haven't read everything. But um, this, it, it's, it's very, it's just voraciously, yeah, seductive. And uh, just the way, the, uh, the way, I, I really like the way that um, Elle approaches her the formulation of her um chapters and things like that um uh the sort of the the very small part of me that's ocd though uh it does my head in when some chapters are shorter or longer than others but that's, <laughs> a, pet, that's a pet peeve i've always had ever since i was a teenager so um yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's that's but yeah guys go check it out um if you like insect fetish and potential murders, <laughs> then um, go check out uh, uh, Deliver, ever Deliver Me of. by El Nash on Unnamed Press. <laughs> wow. All right, Jason, present your something listenable. Something listenable. So um, I'm going to talk about the band All Them Witches and in particular the song I'm a Diamond, which is one of those songs. Don't know how I found it. It's the YouTube deep dive. I'm a diamond I'm spinning clay I am the wheel That turns the day I'm waking To the sound of This got me through two years of Melbourne lockdown. This is one of one of like two or three songs that really just um, kind of blew me away. So all them witches, yeah. um, they're out of Tennessee. They're a kind of blues rock 
um, heavy Doom. metal, psychedelia, oh, yeah. doomy type of band. Yeah. Um, you know, it's you know a basic guitar and a singer and drums. Um, so like a classic rock and roll lineup. Um, yeah. And just the atmosphere in these songs, it's just incredible. And then the the kind of storytelling to them. Um, which is sort of surreal. There's a kind of like a folk horror element, especially in that I'm a Diamond um, song. Um, I think it's very kind of independently produced. Yeah, and just there's this like um, the feel of it. I feel like is, is really unique. Um, you know, the musicianship is 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 top notch, and um, I can just listen to that song and watch that group over and over again. Uh, I think it's really uh, really quite something. Like a fusion of a lot of my favourite. Um, kind of musical genres um, in, a, in a really unique way. So I'm actually quite annoyed that you mentioned this band. Um, <laughs> only, but not because of because I don't like them. It's the fact that I hadn't heard of them before. And I really <laughs> do, do dig it. Um, I really do. Um, it, yeah, yeah, like you said, it's got it's got the the doom element. It's got like there, especially in the song you sort of pitched. There's he has a very sort of a crooning aspect to him um i can see it definitely there's a blues element um i have never seen this band live before but i imagine because of the way the singer slash bassist looks i imagine there's a a bit of a a female presence in their audience i'm guessing (laughs) um uh yeah um not uh it's kind of annoying that someone looks that good and has a voice that sounds that good, but that's my pet peeve. Um, it's like a legit uh, rock star, a legit yeah, rock star yeah. in this this era, right? Yeah, the rest, of our, <laughs> the rest of us mere mortals have to walk know, around right? like a bunch of uggos, but um, uh, it's it's a really good, it's a really they're a really good bands, yeah. Um, I went that extra step further and I checked out their live, sort of their live performance. Um, it's on YouTube. They did live on KEXP yeah. um, where there's, I uh, don't know if you've watched it, but it's kind I've of just it, them yeah. playing in this room and they're introduced by, I'm assuming, someone who represents KEXP who introduces yeah, them and stands there thing. very awkwardly um, yeah. for the whole 40 minute performance. <laughs> 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 but um you know it's uh yeah they're they're really good fun i i, I dig it um they sort of remember remind me of vast a little bit um uh don't know if you've yeah. ever heard vast yeah, uh, yeah kind I'm of like in the way of how vast are almost like a kind of like a the doors crossed with nine inch nails this band is kind of like a uh, like a almost like a softer, croonier version of um, typo negative, or, or at least typo negative in their their softer parts. Typo yeah. mixed creams or something. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't really yeah. sound like either of those bands. It's like it's such a distinctive, yeah. um, you know, like they're not afraid to kind of go like, we're going to do a blues odyssey for, for twenty minutes <laughs> on this one, right? And then there's something like back with like gospel rock or the you know folk horror i'm a diamond um yeah i love them okay yep great okay um so my something listenable is the tetragrammaton podcast um 
are you familiar with the Tetragrammaton podcast, Jason? Try saying I dipped that. in and out of it a little bit. It's Rick Rubin, so obviously I'm interested yeah. just just from that. It is nice to have some have a podcast by someone who's as famous as Rick Rubin is, who has the pull that he is, and obviously can get all these artists on with very little issue. But to actually let when he his interview style, he actually lets them fucking talk. Like I love, I, I'm, I love that about it. Yeah, I'm sick of the you know the Mark Barron and the. The Michael Rosenbaums of the world who get all these famous people on their podcasts, but they have too much. There's clearly an agenda for them when they're interviewing them. Um, it's a podcast that uh, they're not short, po- short podcast episodes. They go for a couple of hours in length, but really um, lets he lets the interviewee uh, really tell their story. Um Especially uh, the I've listened to the Trent Reznor one, and the Trent Reznor one is everything I've ever, as a huge Nine Inch Nails fan, it's yeah. everything I've ever wanted to hear Trent talk about. Um, and I've, and it's yeah, it's it's just really really interesting podcast that, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, I love that. There's so few like, edits in it. You know, you expect yeah. you know, producer like Rick Rubin is going to be highly edited, but it's just really clean. There's not many. And then he doesn't talk much. And then he comes in with a really interesting question. Yeah. Yeah. You know I mean, like yeah. he's, he obviously knows he's given a lot of thought to the topic and the person that he's talking to. And, you know, he just knows exactly the right thing to ask. And it's never about, about him. Do you think, you know, I love Mark Maron's podcast, but also it's all about Mark, you know, whoever is interviewing him. It's like yeah, it kind of secondary. It's like his podcast is about me, the Mark yeah. the comedian. Rick Rubin is not a comedian. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a starring a, famous person. <laughs> yeah, he's got no stake in being in being a personality. Like, you know, that's not yeah. what his job is. Um, mm. And yeah, like he just seems like he's he's thoughtful and he's educated. And um, yeah, he just gets really interesting guests. Yeah, agreed, agreed. All right, let's do the verdicts. So, Jason, out of everything I pitched you, were any of those your kind of weird? Yes, the Alan Ash book. Um, I definitely want to read that. I'm sure it's gonna gonna break my heart and scare the shit out of me. But um, that one, <laughs> um, that one like really appeals to me. Um, Invincible, like I'm familiar with some of Robert Kirkman's stuff, but as I mentioned, I'm not really a superhero guy. Um, what you've told me about it um, does encourage me a little bit because I kind of want it to be a bit a bit meaner than what I've seen in like the first episode of what's half of the first episode. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, there's so much good stuff to watch. I don't know where that's going to fall on my list. Um, and yeah, you know, the Brick Rubens thing, um, uh, I've listened to a little bit of that and I like to have that kind of stuff on in the background. So I'll definitely be tipping back into that. I mean, I think it's probably worth, um, mentioning on the Invincible end is that everyone assumes that when they read or listen to or watch a, um, Robert Kirkman interview and he talks about his big comics break and about how he finally got a comic that went over 100 issues and that he was, that was his biggest sort of uh, goal. Uh, that's what Invincible was. So everyone assumes it was Walking Dead, but it wasn't. It was Invincible. So um, it's very childish at times. It's very much feels yeah. like this is a guy that wrote his own superhero story and made it as gruesome as he could but um 
but the uh, I, I just feel like the cartoon sticks uh, really true to the the nature of what it was intended. Um, the only problem, though, is um, uh, there's these kind of weird uh, angles where um, one of the characters meets um, the crew from the from Star Trek: The Next Generation. That actually happens, but I doubt it'll happen. <laughs> cartoon because of copyright issues but um yeah well, <laughs> you, gotta I, love, you gotta love the wild west that is comics <laughs> i have a friend who's been doing some licensed star trek star trek comics like they're coming out at the moment but mm-hmm. it's just finished and yeah you know it's quite um uh it sounds like it's quite a process to get anything approved that's going to use those characters so yeah doubt that'll be yeah. happening as, <laughs> as far as uh the weird stuff that you've pitched me, I uh, I really believe that the the band that you uh, what's their name again? Uh, all all them witches. witches. Yeah, I think they're definitely my kind of weird for sure. Um, Legion definitely as well. Um, all right, so we're gonna go into the the interview um, uh, segment of this podcast episode. So, Jason, you, for those who listening slash watching right now, tell them a bit of a, give them a bit of a pitch about who you are as a writer and what you're currently working on. So you asked before, what's the difference between an author and a writer and when do you use those things? So what I what I do is um, I, write, I write comics and I write um, prose fiction as well. And I say I'm an author if I'm talking about a novel or a short story that I wrote because it's just me. Um, I say I'm a writer if it's comics because I'm not the author. The artist and I are the author, right? You know, I firmly believe that the artist um, deserves authorship of, of any any work that we do. Yeah. Um, so those are my two things. Um, I, I do both um, depending on the year will depend on the ratio. So for a long time it was 80% comics and 20% prose and then it kind of flipped the other way and now we're rebalancing. A, a lot of that has to do with, what opportunities are available to me at the time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a novelist. I've written four novels, um, which all out at the moment. Um, Bloody Waters is an occult rock and roll novel. Very Apocalypse is a um, really dark fantasy. Although in my head it's a horror novel about um, humans who travel to fairyland, um, but with a kind of contemporary spin where these are um, damaged people who are, you know, maybe not, maybe unwell and, what that does to a, a kind of world that's sort of spun out of our fantasies and dreams. Um, I have Shadowmancy, which is, a, again, it's set in a magic school, but again, in my head, it's sort of a horror novel, and I'd probably compare it to, like, The Wizard of Earthsea and we need to talk about Kevin, if you can kind of get your head across that um, distinction. So yeah. it's like bad things happening at, at magic school. And, um, you know, if you're thinking about the property that shall not be named, there's nothing nothing like that. Um I'm, I'm kind of a bit too old to have fallen into that that rabbit hole. Um, and then my most recent novel is X-Dimensional Assassin's Psy through Unfolded Earth, which is about a hitman who is kind of in the, in the job for the travel opportunities, um, and he gets a gig that sends him to places that don't exist to kill people. So, um, yeah, he um, there's a whole lot of, like, taking tourist photos and trying the, trying the local cuisine, and then he kills someone and go home. Oh, that happens a bunch of times in the story. And, you know, there's a bigger plot and there's some office politics and stuff around that, but that's kind of a, the selling point of that. Um, yep. So those are my four novels. Three of them were nominated for awards. Um, I am a multi-award losing author. 
And for comics, I'm probably best known for the Six Myths graphic novels, which are um, they are uh, kind of comedy comedy drama series about a family of suburban Satanists who have fallen prey to the global financial crisis, which probably dates about when I was writing them. Um, so yeah, it's you know kind of like the Simpsons or South Park if they were devil worshippers based in suburban Australia. Um, so I, I guess that's my backlist of, <laughs> of stuff. Um, yeah. Things I'm working on now, I have a new book, a new comic book coming out probably next year, maybe, maybe the following year called Frankenstein Monsters, which is a um, kind of contemporary uh, Frankenstein tale. Um, I've tried yeah. not to make it Frankenstein fan fiction. So it's about surveillance capitalism and, um, you know, drone warfare and artificial intelligence um, rather than, you know, the monster is still alive and now he's fighting demons or, or, or whatever. Um, there's not a monster. Um, there's, you know, Victor Frankenstein's been alive for 200 years and is a secret tech billionaire is kind of the, um, kind of the, the premise of that. Um, and I have a Kickstarter that is running as of yesterday as well, which is for my cannibal Star Trek graphic novel called Who Am I God? So it's about a starship that travels the galaxy. The mission is to seek out new life and eat it. That was a whole mouthful of words. I'm sorry. I don't know. Probably everybody <laughs> tuned out after the first, like, 10 minutes of it. But that's what I've done and that's what I'm working on. Okay, nice, nice. Um, I I feel like um, uh, have you got any pushback with the cannibal Star Trek thing that you're doing? Well, it's not actually Star Trek. I just that's how I sell it. So I haven't had pushback on it. Um, I've had people say like, "This is weird, Jason," um, or I had someone say it was s- slightly unhinged, and I'm like, "What do you mean slightly? Come on, give me full credit. It's fully unhinged. It's bug fuck crazy." Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think it's. It's fun. Um, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, the artist, of course, is... So my co-creator is Harry Purnell, um, but there are seven episodes by seven different artists. So um, other artists in the book are Laura Renfrew, uh, Gavin the Thompson, Matt Kime from The Phantom, Ali Fay, uh, Christian Rue, Death Ship Den- Jenny from yep. Death Ship Jenny, and a bunch of other stuff, Talagad. Um, and, of course, I've got... Ben Michael Byrne um, closing out the book as well. Kyle Byrne and NSEW, if you're familiar with his his uh, past work. More than a couple of, I mean, if you've collected or if you're remotely sort of familiar with the Australian comic scene, more than a couple of heavy hitters there who are well known. Yeah, yeah, you know, I really um, kind of reached deep to to. You know, my friends, I've worked with some of these guys before, others I've known for, forever. Um, it's taken me quite a long time to make the book available. I've had it complete since the start of COVID. I've just been sort of saying, oh, wow. nice. what do I do with this? Yeah. Uh, I was afraid to kickstart it, but I'm kind of at the point now where I'm like, the team worked really hard on this book. I need to get it in front of people. So um, that is what we're doing. Mm. Um, I remember so, when you showed it to me last year and I'm like, well, you've done that. <laughs> I have, I have. Like, what am I going to do with this? I, I don't know. But I think you know, Kickstarter is the is the place for, for this kind of a this kind of a book. Um, 
and yeah, you know, I wrote that first the first chapter that Harry drew in two thousand and five. Yeah. So it's been it's a project that's been with me for a long time, and I just really wanted to see it um, see it right, see and, it through, uh, yeah, see it through, yeah. So you know, it's it's had some. Uh, it's been published. That first chapter has been published three times now. Um, mm-hmm. And you know it's been through some a bit of a journey in terms of where it was going to get published, what the format was going to be, um, magazines collapsing, and you know, um, what have you. But you know, um, I think this is the uh, this is the best place for it. So, with something like that, obviously, and I know you're selling it and pitching it to people as sort of like um, Star Trek meets cannibalism. Um, with science fiction, of course, being very sort of visual, uh, and I know you're a writer, a writer of prose as well. Um, when it comes to for you know the initial conception and before you even start to put sort of pen to paper and write the script, um, do you do you head towards the route of gaining inspiration more from like visual storytelling around like TV and movies where, which is pretty much King when it comes to science fiction, or do you go down the route of uh, sci-fi books or do you sort of just find a bit from each, each sort of party and try and marry it together? Depends very much on the project. So for Gumango, actually, like I keep saying Cannibal Star Trek, but my instructions to Harry in the first script were don't make it Star Trek. I don't want this to look like the part of the Federation. I don't want the yep. characters in uniform. Um, but, yep. you know, it's the officers on the bridge of the star of the starship is where a lot of the action happens. So you kind of can't avoid that um, mm. uh, that comparison. But I definitely wanted it to not be they're in uniform, they look like a military, you know, it's a tramp fighter. Um, they are the bad guys once again, you know, mm. They're looking for white forms to eat, um, which you know I guess ruins the twist of the first chapter. But there's six more to follow. So for that one, um, I didn't give Harry a lot to go on, but I was like not Star Trek, and um, he's come up with some really really cool and interesting character designs, um, like quite a diverse cast. Um, for Frankenstein monsters, um, the artist that on that is Tamnation, and that is also a science fiction, although it's kind of contemporary, more than like we're in a spaceship doing space opera stuff. Um, I let Tam just have his head and um, the characters look really interesting. Um, I, I didn't give a lot of direction, um, uh, especially about things like ethnicity. I just kind of went, you know, he's a scruffy-looking journalist. There's probably as much detail as I gave. And, and um, Tam, what he's done with the design has just been incredible. Um, like the characters live and breathe in ways that, I, you know, I, I couldn't have. Uh, I, I couldn't have, have scripted, and that's the joy of of doing comics as opposed to prose, right? Where you get a collaborator who's going to bring more to it than what, what you give it. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it does really vary. Um, I, I, I am a very visual thinker, um, and uh, I've heard that my my prose fiction is really really visual as well. So probably not a not a surprise. Um, but where does the imagery come from? Uh, it really varies. Right. I'm not answering your question, but no, 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 that's all right. It gives me gives me a bit of an idea in terms of not just me, but also the listeners of the podcast who will like what they'll actually get from it if they want to check it out. You know, hoping they get to the Kickstarter before it ends. But if they don't, you know, I'm assuming they'd be able to go back and maybe purchase it off you. 
afterwards? Yeah, also so like for the reserve for the rewards, they'll be they'll be available in some other places. Um, but but three weeks, it's been live for uh, one day now. So cool. So fingers crossed. Then they should have at least another two weeks by the time this goes. Well, you know. We're recording on YouTube right now, so you know, I'll put it in the notes. But for the podcast um, feed people, whoever they are, um, <laughs> they'll probably have two weeks to jump on board and you know, hopefully throw you some coin. That'd be fantastic. Cool, Jason. Where can people find you online? Um, so best place, jasonfranks.com is my website. Um, I'm on t- Twitter slash X at jasonfranks. Yep. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Blue Sky. So either Jace Franks or Jason Franks. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I never check that. Um, so yeah, you know, I guess just the usual, uh, usual social the usual media sort of places. Yeah, the usual haunts. Yeah, great, great. All right, mate. Thanks very much for uh, stopping by. Um, and everyone else, uh, stay weird, guys. Thank you so much, Anthony. I really appreciate it. And um, this show is definitely my kind of weird. <laughs> Love the endorsement. Thanks, guys. Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash adfreecomedy to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.